Welcome to the Fit Archer Podcast, my friends. I'm your host, J.P. Penskover, and on episode 27, I speak to my new friend, Sheldon Howe, a young man from the state of Utah, and uh, Sheldon and I have a great conversation about how he got started in hunting and uh, all the way into his elk hunt this year. You know, this I'm going on a kind of a little elk hunting series of everybody that I know or I can get on the podcast that has killed an elk. A lot of do-it-yourself public land hunters out there. This was a, a tough elk hunting year for myself and my hunting partner. And I came back from that, and I'm like, man, I watch a Sheldon guy. He's got a great Instagram page, Sheldon underscore Howe, H-O-W-E, um, on Instagram. And I've been watching him, and he killed an elk in 2018. Had a great story with it. Killed an elk here this year. His girlfriend killed an elk. And I'm like, man, I just want to see what this guy's doing. Let him share his story and, and share with the listeners what he's doing to uh, – uh, put elk down and fill his tag and we had a great conversation went about an hour and 20 minutes and i think you're going to really enjoy this young man great young man great young man to have in the hunting and outdoor industry so enjoy the podcast my friends don't forget november 4th is your chance to vote it's 2020 for those of you listening in the future and it is our opportunity to uh, truly exercise our freedoms and vote and uh, put in the policies that, that you hope for. And so I hope you all do it. May God bless you. May God bless our country. You are listening to the Fit Archer Podcast. All hunting, all fitness, all the time. Well, here we are. Welcome to the Fit Archer Podcast. Sheldon, how are you doing, buddy? I'm good. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for agreeing to come on. You know, this is, uh, I think you're my first guest that I, uh, you're my second guest that I don't know personally. And so I've just been a big fan of yours over these last few months, been following you on Instagram. And I'm like, man, this kid is getting it done. And he's, he's fun to watch and fun to follow. And I thought, well, I'm not going to know if he's ever going to want to be on the podcast unless I just shoot a message out and find out. So here we are. Yeah, and I appreciate you for reaching out. Yeah, yeah. So we'll tell the listeners a little bit about you. You know, where where do you live? So I live in northern Utah right now. Um, born and raised here, basically up against the border of Idaho. Um, I work at a Walmart distribution center full time, and I work there three days a week. So everybody, every Saturday, Sunday, Monday. So I have four days off every week to go do this kind of stuff, which is great. Um, and then they give me a lot of time off this year as well to go and guide. I guide for an outfitter part-time throughout hunting season as well. So that's kind of what I do. Um, yeah, that's about it. So you're on the Utah-Idaho border, central, west, east? Um, basically central. Man, you're in the heart of beautiful country. Yeah, it's great up here. <laughs> So all your hunting escapades that I'm watching you do, is that in Utah? Is that in Idaho? Is it a little bit of both? A little bit of both, yep. I do a lot in Idaho just because my girlfriend lives up there and I'm traveling there back and forth like consistently. So so the work schedule, you got that figured out pretty good. A tw- yep. three twelve. Are you doing 312s and they pay you for yes, 40? Sir. Is that how it works? Yep. And they give you time off to go hunting. Man, yep, Sam Walton, pretty, what a good man. Pretty- they're pretty good to me. That's for dang sure. <laughs> That's awesome. So how old are you? You look, well, obviously you're younger than I am, but how old are you? I'm 21. 21. Just a, just, just a baby. Yeah. I'm a youngin. <laughs> yeah. Well, it keeps you, I mean, you got the energy to chase those big mountain or run those big mountains that you're chasing animals in around there. Yep. Yep. So, well, tell me, um, Sheldon, like 
growing up, you're 21 years old. What was hunting like for you? Like what got you into hunting? How long have you been hunting? What did you start hunting? Kind of give me a, a recap of that. I've definitely, I started when I was younger, for sure. Even before I could hunt, I'd go with my dad. When I was just little, he'd take us along. Um, but it was never big game hunting. It was always birds. My dad's a bird nut. He's always, he's always been into waterfowl and pheasants and all that kind of stuff. Um, and so that's where I grew up in was that kind of environment. Um, when I hit 12 years old, when I was able to actually hunt big game, it seemed like every time we'd go deer hunting is almost kind of the shoot. The first thing has antlers type of thing. So we could get back and hunt ducks and pheasants or whatever, you know, I just kind of go fill the freezer home. We're done, you know? And so that's kind of how I got into big game hunting. It wasn't until I was probably like 14, 15 for some reason, bow hunting just intrigued me a ton. My uncle gave me a bow, just a really old one. And I always wanted to use it. And so that's, that's the kind of what got me really into bow hunting. Once I started doing it, I didn't want to not do it. Does that make sense? Oh, totally. Yeah. Once somebody picks a bow up, not many people want to put that bow down. Exactly. Exactly. So that's kind of like where I got into the bow hunting side of things. And now it's something like I'd rather do that than anything else. Like I don't hunt birds and stuff as much anymore. So, you know, you're, you're fortunate you say this, and I think I probably shared this with every guest that's ever been on the podcast, really fortunate to have a dad that um, brought you up in the outdoors, even though it was bird hunting and you kind of transition over to do a lot of uh, big game archery hunting, you know, just how special that is, that bond, that time, and it keeps everybody out of trouble. And yep, it's, it it's you know, something like sports are big in our life. We, we love sports. And I was just talking with my brother. I have a brother that's two years older than I was. And I was just like you, Sheldon. I have a dad that he took us in the outdoors every weekend. <clears throat> we were either on the water fishing or in the woods hunting if we weren't at a wrestling tournament. That's kind of how, how growing up was for us. And my brother and I were talking. I said, man, as much as I love sports and I'm a diehard sports fan and I have kids and they're into it, I'm like, the one thing I talk about, the memories I reminisce about with all my friends, it's all hunting. We never, That's we don't, we, we don't talk about sports. We don't talk about, remember that one game, you know, you blocked yeah. for me and I ran a touchdown, blah, blah, blah. It's, we talk about, you know, shooting squirrels and rabbits and ducks and pheasants and deer and all that stuff. And that's just what's so great about it too, you know? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you pick up a bow and do you remember the very first animal you ever harvested with a bow? Um, I do. It took a, it took a while because when I first got in bow hunting, I had no idea what I was doing. I mean... I was shooting with my fingers on a compound bow, like, like you would with a recurve. Like I yeah. was just traditionally shoot. That's just how I was shooting. You know, I didn't know, really know what was going on. I missed so many deer my first year trying. Um, but I learned a lot and then I started reading up on stuff and I learned how to fletch arrows. I learned how to do everything I needed to so that I could hopefully accomplish that goal of harvesting something with it. And it wasn't until that next year I was able to harvest my first meal deer with, with a bow. Buck doe. Can you guys shoot does where you live? Um, no, we have to, that depredation tags or there's, you can draw an antler list tag. So it was a buck. So tell me the story. I'm a, I'm a uh, story guy, Sheldon. I love, cause I, I'm so, sitting in my office right now and I'd much rather be hunting, but I can't. Yeah. So uh, let me tell, let me hear some hunting stories. So the first particular, um, this is the first year I was able, I got onto public land close to where I live. Um, I was hunting for about the first week is like five or six days. At this point I was going to high school as well. So I was still in school, the hunts were starting, and I had a few other things going on as well. So I really couldn't spend as much time as I wanted to out there, but I scouted a lot. Um, long story short, short, the first few um, first few days, I missed a few deer. I blew quite a few stalks on some great bucks, 
And it wasn't until like the seventh day of my hunt, I had glassed up a buck that morning and uh, basically put him to bed and I had to leave to go take care of some things. And so I came back that evening, about midday, actually, I'd say, and I came from above him. So I had the wind and the thermals were good from the way I was coming in. And he was across the river. So I was hunting on one side and I glassed him up and watched him bed on the other side of the river. So I had to drive around and come back up from above him. And I ended up sneaking into about 25 yards and shot him out of his bed. Um, and he ran down and basically tried swimming across the river and died out in the river, actually. Um, so, yeah, so I swam out there and uh, got him, brought him back to the bank. And I was, there was a road on the other side. So I ended up um, signaling down like a boat that was driving by. And they came and picked me up and took me back across where I was able to process it and uh, get it taken care of. Well, you're going to have another story here a little while on the podcast of a boat too, I imagine. I think you, this is uh, different. I didn't really know there was rivers. You know, I'm in Arizona. I grew up in Wisconsin for 37 years, moved here seven years yeah. ago. I didn't really realize there were rivers in Utah and Idaho and all that stuff. <laughs> well, the so. funny thing is, is like, it seems like there's really not like a whole lot of them. I just end up by them. <laughs> <laughs> and is that what you guys used to duck hunt, a river system? Um, we duck on a lot of river systems. It's more, we duck on a lot of marshlands, I'd say up this way more than anything. Okay. Okay. So you, you shoot your first buck and I got to imagine from the very first time you picked up a bow shooting fingers, I don't know how many years ago that was, uh, probably some older equipment, although you're still pretty young, the equipment from when I was young to when you were young, your equipment's pretty good. And, and the old timers would say that about me as well. Um, you know, equipment's always getting better, but now you're probably state of the art. Everything is state of the art type equipment, top of the line, getting it yep. all done. Yes. Any, yep. any specific type equipment that, uh, you love more than anything else? Um, definitely a release <laughs> from, <laughs> going from fingers to a release was, is, was great. But actually what ties, what's funny is I had practiced so much with my fingers and become pretty decent. I'd say um, instinctively that that actually came into harvesting my first elk. I ended up shooting my first bull limited entry unit here in Utah with my fingers under pressure. Wow. So, so that practice, like everything happens for a reason in my opinion. And I felt like that was something I needed to learn. Well, tell me about that. So what year was that? And what, uh, what, what year did you shoot your first elk and tell me that story of how that, how that worked out? That was in 2018. Oh, last uh, year or two years ago. Two years ago. Yep. Yeah. So in the state of Utah, there's limited entry units and they take a while to draw. Like whether you're a resident or non-resident, we're all based off of a point system here in Utah. And, it, you know, I, I don't really like it because it, if you draw a tag, you have to wait five years to even put in again. And most tags in the state take so dang long to draw. So what I did is I did my research just because I didn't want to hunt a general unit. I wanted to have a little more opportunity than a general unit. And so I put in for the worst limited entry in the state, like worst one out there. Um, and I drew a zero points. So I was very fortunate to, to draw this unit and I scouted it real hard throughout the summer. A lot of guys told me to turn my tag back in and I hadn't seen any elk on the unit. Um, so I hunted basically the whole season, not there. I just hunted mule deer, not too far from there. It was about the last week and a half of the hunt and I decided to run over there and hunt elk and just dedicate that time to that hunt. Um, and I hunted for seven, eight days there and I called in bulls every single day that great mature bulls. 
um i ended up missing about five or six bulls in this week's span like i'd never hunted elk before um and i just kept misjudging yardages i never ranged and so that was also another learning experience i gained from that hunt is i never ranged the animals i they'd bust me they'd come in quiet and then i just would like wouldn't be patient enough to take my time to range the animal i just fling arrows um so that's kind of how that hunt started i was just walking around bugling a lot um, I definitely learned a little bit of elk language during that time. It was more pre-rut action that was going on. So I was calling in bulls singly and getting them to respond um, very, very often just by bugling. Not much for cow calls, just bugling. But they would come in silent most of the time once they got within 100, 150 yards. Um, and it was the second to the last day of this hunt. I basically had given up. I was willing to shoot basically a raghorn spike, whatever gave me the opportunity. Um, and I was working up a drainage and there's a lot of cattle in this drainage. And I got, I, there was a whole bunch of cattle down the bottom. I didn't want to spook them because I knew if I spooked them, they'd run up through the pines and probably bust any elk that were in there. And so I ended up getting past like the first half of the cattle and I was like, okay, we're good. Well, there was another half of the herd that was in front of me and I bumped into these cattle and they all took off running. And then the ones I went past lost the other part of the herd and they just wouldn't, wouldn't shut up. They just talking mooing like crazy in this canyon i was like well this sucks you know like second to last day of my hunt i'm not gonna get anything and uh, i start working up to head over the next ridge and all of a sudden i hear a bugle and i was just like what the heck like at first i thought it was a person you know and so i continued to work up this hill thinking it was a person i heard the bugle again and i stopped and i was like okay and then i heard it again and at that point i knew it wasn't a person anymore i knew it was a bull and so I started kind of working over the hill and I saw him right down below me. I could just see his rack just raking the tree. I think he was just as mad as at the cattle making noise and mooing just as much as I was. Um, and like I said, this is the second to last day of the hunt. So to see a rack right there below me, like I was freaking out. I was shaking so bad and I was just kind of inching as close as I could. I went to reach for an elk call to see if I could call him at all. And I had just barely lost my elk calls. I don't know if they fell out of my pocket or what. So I had like nothing. Um, but I wasn't as patient in this situation either. And I definitely learned from it. I ended up deciding to take a shot when I couldn't see his whole body. I could just basically see his spine. And then there was a little bit of brush in front of me. And I shot right over his back. And at that point, it just spooked him enough to where he ran up and he busted me in like 20 yards. And we're both just sitting there staring at each other. And I didn't know what to do. And somehow I was able to get an arrow out of my quiver and knock it. And I just drew back with my fingers and just let it fly. Just like a pitcher sta staring at the pitcher's mound. Like I just shot and I just watched the arrow just nail in. That is there, incredible. There's, there's like, I could see the blood starting to come down and he's still just like kind of staring at me and he kind of trots off a little bit and then just kind of walks over the hill. Um, and I sat there for a second, like, I can't believe that just happened. Like I just shot this bull with my fingers, you know? And I ended up walking over there and he was piled up no more than a hundred yards from where I, uh, where I took that shot. So, so at that time you were using a release though, right? Yeah. I had a release on my wrist. I just didn't think I had time to even like, <laughs> put it on the D loop and draw back, you know, I just, and settle for a shot. I just drew back and let it fly. Well, man, your instinctive practice shooting fingers paid off then. Right. And so that's kind of what I based that on it. Cause when I, when I was doing that, I was pretty accurate at 20, 30 yards. I could hit, I could hit a pretty good, 
have a pretty good group instinctively. And so I feel like doing that the two years prior really helped me in that situation. Man, that's incredible. Yeah. So I was, uh, before you jumped on, I was just snooping around your Instagram a little bit more. And I don't know what those are called. Those little stories at the top of your, all your pictures. I don't know what, what they uh, call them. Highlights. Highlights. Yeah. Your highlight yeah. reel. Um, and you got 2018 elk and I'm like, Oh, let me click on that one. I was just kind of burning a little bit of time. And that was really cool. Uh, you know, you had some emotion there and it was just raw emotion. I thought it was really, really neat to see that. And I, I, I do, I like that, um, in general anyway, because it just, it's, you know, as a hunter, non hunters will never understand it. And, and some hunters don't get that way either. I still get that way. I mean, yeah. man, any animal, like, you know, majority of animals, big game animals, especially that I get an opportunity to harvest so much work goes into it. So much emotion, so much time, so much energy, preparation, planning, luck, some skill, you know, and, and my chance, it's way more luck than any skill. Other people, it's more skill than luck, but there's just so much emotion wrapped into it that you can't control it. I thought that was really cool. So I would tell the listeners to go check that out and, and watch that. Cause I thought that was just real authentic. Well, yeah. And I totally agree. And I have no shame for showing any type of emotion whatsoever, because that's a huge part of it. You know, like you said, there's so much work and time and dedication, money, whatever it may be that goes into these hunts. And, you know, they're physically and mentally exhausting a lot of the time when you put that much time and effort into it. Um, so when it actually does act, like come together, it's just an insane experience, especially when like a lot of the time I'm solo, I do a lot of solo hunting. Um, and so when I'm by myself and something like that comes together, it's just get it's just, just super emotional. You know, I'm out there harvesting a, a big animal, you know? Oh yeah. I mean, I, I love it. I love it when I see, I love it when I see the, the true emotion, you know, not a hunting show kind of fake for Hollywood type emotion, which I don't really watch the hunting shows anymore. Nothing, nothing wrong with them. I don't have anything against them either. Other right. than I just... I know it's not always reality. I know it's... When my, when my 11-year-old son, we were watching one on YouTube, a guy sent me a little video clip and it was this guy going to shoot this big moose with a bow. And he was sneaking in on the, on the bull moose and the camera angle was from the front between him and the moose. And my, my son finally said to me, he goes, wouldn't the moose see the camera? And I'm like, yeah, you've, you figured it out, buddy. It's Hollywood production. They're just making it look good. It actually doesn't look like that in real life. You know, I, I realize I, it, it don't work that way when you're in hunting. And, you know, I don't know what the statistics are of archery hunting as a whole when it comes to big game. You know, if we go east, you know, or you go whitetail, you know, uh, Midwest whitetail, the, the statistics are a little bit higher. You know, it's a little bit easier of a hunt to kill deer with a bow, not trophy animals, but just deer. But elk hunting and mule deer spot and stock hunting spot and stock ammo hunting the statistics uh harvest rates and success rates are very low yes i agree with that they really are i I don't know what they are i would have to say probably eight to ten percent yeah depending on the unit and stuff that you're in i would i would agree with that yeah so when that emotion comes out it's because you know, maybe I've gone 10 years in a row in one out of two out of 10 years, I'm punching my tag, maybe, maybe more, maybe four out of five years sometimes if I'm a little bit better, but you know, it's not just everybody that picks up a bow goes out and shoots an elk, although Instagram and Facebook make it look like it. It's just not, that's not the reality. It's really not. Yep. Yep. So, so how did you get into guiding Sheldon? When did that take place? Um, that actually, a lot of that came through with the social media type of things. Um, I've got a lot of great friends in the industry, um, and I'm blessed to have those great friends there. And I had a good friend that he works for a couple companies, and he works for the outfitter that I'm associated with. And he said, hey, like, 
you guys should come guide this next year. And to me and my one other um, friend that I go hunting with all the time that works with me as well. And uh, so we took up the opportunity. We decided, you know what, like, let's give a shot. Let's try it. You know, it's something that's going to be fun. It's going to be a great experience. We're still going to learn a lot. And uh, I had a ton of fun doing it. It was a blast. And uh, yeah, honestly, it's a great experience. Now, this year, it wasn't exactly for me. With everything going on, I figured, you know, I want to spend a lot more time hunting for myself. I want to spend a lot more time helping a few of my close friends, my girlfriend, Lydia. Like, that's just kind of what I dedicated this year to. That's why I didn't do it full time. Yeah, I got it. I got it. You know, it's tough when you're a guide. I have, I have some good friends that are guides. And I've been asked before, like, hey, JP, you want to be a guide? You want to come, you know, join our guide school and do a school? And I'm like, no, no, not a chance. Like, I just want to hunt myself. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I, I, I appreciate everybody that guides because the pressure that you have on you is just astronomical. Way more pressure you have on you as a guide than the hunter does because you've got to produce. you got to find the animals. you got to get them in position. And you got to... Well, yeah, I think these guys have big expectations, you know, because they're paying a lot of money for these tags. So, Yeah, yeah. So are you, when you do your guiding, are you guiding in Idaho or are you guiding in Utah? In- in Utah. So, yep. So I guide elk and deer in Utah. Um, but I've actually got a couple clients for next year that I will be guiding just personally. So there won't be any outfitter and I'm doing that in Idaho. Okay. Well, you keep killing bulls and putting them up on social media. You're going to have full-time play to guiding. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if I want to do it full-time, <laughs> <laughs> which is tough to do. Um, yeah, it's tough to make a, a, a real living just guiding because you just, you're limited in time. I mean, you only have just a fall. People think, you know, I don't want to get off on this tangent, but it seems like it's hunting season, you know, probably especially for my wife. If I brought her down, you know, she'd look at me and be like, you're hunting all the time. I'm like, no, I'm thinking about hunting all the time, but hunting is just a short window. It really you is. only have a couple months and then it's over with. Yep, and September's the best time. <laughs> it is. September's beautiful. It is beautiful. So one of the reasons I wanted to bring you on, not only just to get, you know, selfishly get a chance to get to know you, was to talk more elk. And I'm going to tell you why. So I, again, I mentioned I'm a, I grew up in Wisconsin. I'm a whitetail hunter. That's what I cut okay. my teeth on, you know, hang a tree stand, shoot a deer at 20 <laughs> yards, pattern a buck with a trail camera. They don't leave your 100 yard, 100 acre property. You know, it's, it's just a little different. Well, I shot my first elk on a do-it-yourself Colorado. I shot a, a bull elk in 2005. Then I shot a cow. Then I did some guided hunts. I shot a bull in Wyoming in 2013, a bull in Arizona 2014, and, and I, I lucked out and drew a Nevada tag in 2015, and I killed a, just a world-class bull elk in Nevada um, awesome. on a hunt. And But six, 2016, I did an Idaho... Um, general to just an over-the-counter tag, got our butts handed to us. 2017 and 2018, I was moose hunting. Um, 2019, we did an Idaho over-the-counter tag, got our butts handed to us. And this year, my buddy and I drew a seven-point, actually eight-point unit in Wyoming, and we were really stoked up that this was going to be a great hunt. Everything the consulting businesses that we use said, and I'll, I'll leave the names out for, you know, I'm not say anything bad about them. I just, I just don't think it was a quite the correct information was this was supposed to be a great hunt, lots of elk. And it just wasn't, there was lots of hunters and, Oh man, it was, you know, you're, you're hunting every every piece of timber had two to three groups of hunters in it, including us. So yeah, all the, all the elk were blown out and, and we ended up, you know, not even hunting the last three days. And when I came back, 
I thought, well, I'm just going to start watching everybody that kills elk and I want to do podcasts with them and I want them to kind of tell their story. I want to pick your brain, find out your mindset in the hunt when it got tough during the grind, maybe some tips, tactics that you use to seal the deal and all that kind of stuff. So why don't you just kind of maybe take me through what this fall looked like for you and kind of get into your elk hunt and just kind of go into that story. And then I'll just kind of, I'll just kind of yeah. dig some, mine, some, uh, mine, some nuggets out of you, if you don't mind. Yeah, it's not a problem at all. Um, so going into this hunt, basically, first off, it wasn't the, the zone and unit I had wanted to hunt in the first place. Um, the unit and zone that I wanted to hunt is like just south of where I was hunting, not very far. And, and the problem is, is that unit and zone sells out like super, super quick to non-residents. So I wasn't able to get a tag, unfortunately. Sheldon, um, was this Idaho or Utah? This is Idaho. Okay. Okay. Yep. So where I was at there in Idaho, I had never hunted Idaho before. I just helped, um, with Lydia's hunt last year in that same zone that I wanted to get a tag for. I had done a ton of e-scouting in the area. I set up some trail cameras and uh, we were getting great quality bulls in there. And so that's where I specifically wanted to hunt. But I, like I said, I was unfortunately not able to get a tag there. So she did. And I decided to get a tag for the unit that was basically just across the road. So the road's not too far away. Um, so I was hunting Basically, we were camped. We were camped in her unit, and it was like a five-minute drive to even just get into my unit. Um, and so I had set cameras all summer, scouted. hadn't really seen a whole lot in my unit. I knew it was going to be tough, um, but I knew that there was a lot of elk in there. I had seen tons of elk sign, just not like super good quality bulls or anything like that yet. Um, so leading up to the hunt, I didn't have like super high expectations. You know, I was just going to go in there and see what I could do. I basically had the whole month to hunt in there. And, uh, the first, I'd say the first couple of days of the season were some of the best. It, the season opens August 30th, like the last day of August. And it was a great, like I, the first two days were great. They were phenomenal. Bulls were already bugling. They had cows. Um, but unfortunately I ended up breaking my bow sight, like the second day into the hunt. Um, I was hiking up a North face and I tripped and fell and basically body slammed it, like snapped the whole frame on it, like sucked so bad. Um, so that was a downfall. Like from the beginning of the hunt, I was like, fetch, this sucks. I've got bulls bugling. I can't even chase them. Um, but I sat there and I kind of figured out what I wanted to do. I used like the med kit that was in my backpack and I taped my site back up with like band-aids and, and whatever I could find just so I could like try to have an opportunity that evening on a hunt. Um, so before I dive into it, that's kind of like where, um, basically I was hunting. I was hunting basically just off of where my girlfriend's unit was at in a not so good unit, but there was still a lot of elk in there. Does that make sense? Yeah. So you MacGyvered your site. I remember that. I think that's the first time I ever sent you a message. I was, I was watching on your story and I'm like, dang, look at this kid. Like he broke his site and then you, you patch it back together and you're like, I'm good out to 40. That's going to yeah. have to do for now. I'm like, this guy is a, he's a survivor. He's like a MacGyver right now. So <laughs> I thought that was impressive. What did you look for? Um, let me ask you this quick before you keep go going further. Yep. When you said you did a bunch of e-scouting, you did it in the other unit, but I'd have to imagine you probably did some e-scouting here. What were did, you yes. looking for from an e-scouting standpoint? Um, definitely water. Water's number one. Um, if you can find water anywhere in the area, elk love water. They got to have it, whether they're wallowing near it, whether they're drinking from it, like they've got to have it. Um, usually it's a lot cooler in those areas as well. And so that's like the first thing I'd say I look for. 
Um, second thing I look for is access. If there's not very many accessible places, that's probably where the elk are going to be. If people can't get in there, that's probably where they're going to be pushed to, um, whether it's later in the hunt or they're in there earlier, the bulls are in there summering, you know, pre-rut stuff. That's kind of what I look for. Anything nasty, um, lots of timber pockets. If I can find some nice, cool timber pockets on north faces or like east facing slopes, that's always money, especially if any of this stuff is close to water. So that's kind of what I look for on maps if I can. Perfect. Perfect. Are you looking for, are you busting out any elevation topography type stuff looking for, are, are you able to glass much in the units you're hunting? Um, this area in particular, I was not able to glass okay. hardly at all. Okay. Um, lots of timber, um, pretty thick in most of the areas. Some of the first areas I was hunting in that were, that were a lot closer and easier access. I had some trailheads. They, there was a lot of open meadows and stuff like that, just prime country to hunt in. But the problem is they were just too close to where people could get to. And was there a lot of, did you um, run into a lot of other hunters? I did about the second and third week of September. I ran into a lot of people. I ended up, I, there was a while there. I just kept calling in hunters, even just cow calling. Like people just kept coming into me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All so right. it can get frustrating there as well. Yeah. Okay. So keep going then. Keep going. Um, yeah. So one other thing too, when it comes to elevation too, um, you asked about that. When I look at the topography of things, usually the bulls will summer a lot higher and then they'll kind of move down in elevation to look for cows. At least that's from my own personal experience. That's what I've learned from these areas that I've hunted. They'll stay up high and bachelor up, you know, and use those higher wallows and stuff like that. And then once the rut kind of comes in, they're all going to come down and look for cows. That's a good, that's a very good tip. And then for you, where you're at there in Southern Idaho, what is, uh, so your season starts August 30th. Yep. you kind of early there a little bit. What, when does you, when do you see the best rut? I know the moon phase was good, you know, that third week, but I don't know if you pay attention to that at all, but what, what yeah, does your yeah. rut look like time-wise there? Um, I definitely see the best action probably that third and fourth week of September every year. Okay. Um, that seems like it's usually prime, but I usually have a lot of lot of success and opportunities always the first week as well. Is that you think because they just haven't been called to and pressured and they're just kind of starting to seek and round some cows up type thing? Yes, I do. I do completely. I seem to have a lot more elk that are vocal and communicate with me usually that first week of September or last week of August. That makes sense. Makes total sense. They haven't been pressured yet, haven't heard every... Uh, you know, primos bugle in the world yet, which, exactly. which, which is coming. <laughs> yep. It is for sure. Okay. Yeah. So, keep going, bud. Yeah. So anyway, back to when I broke my bow sight, um, I tripped, fell, broke it, bandaged it back up the best I could. It's a slider site. So the way I had to put it back together, I wasn't able to slide it anymore. It was a fixed pin site. It wasn't moving at all. I, uh, put it back up to the way it was. And so I was pretty confident I could hit something anywhere from 20 to 40 yards. Um, and that particular day, I think that was September 2nd is what it was. So it was early and I had a herd bull reply to me probably about 20, 30 minutes after that happened. And I could hear him up there and he just would not shut up. He just kept replying to like, I was just cow calling at that point. Um, but once I let out a bugle, he got super aggressive with me and he was getting, he was getting real mad. And so I was like, Hey, I might have a great chance and opportunity on this bull. But I had to hike up this north face that was just, oh, it was so bad, so thick. I mean, it was wet. Just climbing up it was just hell. And uh, 
working my way up through that, he just kept bugling. And I just, I was making a ton of noise because it was so thick, but I just kept bugling. I'd rake a tree here and there every time I'd stop. And I was finally getting up to where I was on his level. And man, I just, at that point, I just shut up. I didn't call anymore. I just start raking a tree and then I'd start moving a little more and I'd start raking a tree and he would bugle every time. And at that point I thought, all right, like this is going to happen if I can at least see him through this thick stuff. And I'm working my way a little bit. He just kept screaming and screaming. And uh, I ended up not being able to see him through the brush and he could see me. And he was probably only like 20, 30 yards away and he busted. And so with his cows, um, I was never able to get a clear look at him, but I could tell he was definitely a pretty mature bull. And uh, they ended up busting out of there and I wasn't able to get a shot on him. He had so some cow- was- Did he have some cows with him? Yeah, I'd say he had four or five cows with him. Okay. So, and that, like I said, that was early and they were talking and then he was being super aggressive with me, which was great. Like that was a, that was a prime example of a great like elk hunting experience just right there, you know, even though I didn't shoot him. That's awesome. And so when you were cow calling, let me ask you this, when you were cow calling and he was replying, then you got a little bit more aggressive with some bugles and stuff. What did, did you have any style of cow calls? Was it just soft muse? Was it more aggressive estrus type muse or anything? Usually I'll start with like, especially early on, like that time of year, I'll usually do like softer muse. It seems like that's the best way to get them to be more vocal with me, especially the cows as well. Um, and so that's usually what I'll start with. Sometimes, you know, if he just keeps replying to me or if I think he's going to come in, then I'll start to throw out maybe some estrus or sound like a desperate cow. And that seems to work a lot better. Okay. Okay. Awesome. Okay. Keep going. Uh, uh, um, so I was hunting that particular area. It wasn't too far away from where people and roads were. I hunted that for probably the next few days. Um, a lot of bulls in the area. I kept having bulls reply. Never could really call anything in. I didn't really have a whole lot come into cow calls this whole hunt, um, which I thought was weird that I've never really had to deal with that. Um, it seemed like they would respond to me consistently, but a lot of them were very weary on coming in. And I don't know if it's due to pressure in the past or, or uh, they just didn't like my calling or what was going on there. Um, but I hunted that area for probably the next week, never had another great opportunity. Um, there's a couple instances where I was on herd bulls with cows and they ended up just kind of feeding away from me. And then it got dark and I lost light. Um, and it wasn't until actually there was one instance that week when I hunted one other area and I was talking about the meadows and stuff I had been in before that was pretty accessible. And I hiked up a trailhead, got back up in there. I got a bull to respond to me. And he had a lot of cows with him. He had about 20 or so cows with him already. And this was, I think this was like the 4th or 5th of September. So it was early. And he was a nice six point good herd bull. And I could, like I said, I could only shoot out the 40 yards. And I seen him like right over this little ridge down on the bottom. And I was going to circle back around. There was a pond below us. And I knew they were going to go down to the pond and water. And unfortunately, he beat me down there. I had his cows all within range, but he was down in the bottom wallowing. And I had him at 60, 70 yards for a good 15 minutes, and I just couldn't move at all, and I wasn't able to get a shot on him either before they ended up busting out of there. Wow. Hey, um, from the first bull that you kind of moved in on and, and it didn't quite work out, and then you had a couple of days where you know nothing really happened, what are you doing during those days? Like, here's where most hunters are going to go stir crazy. You have one good day, you know, you have a little bit of action. It's like, oh, great, it's going to be unbelievable. And then maybe the next three days, you don't even get a bugle. Like, what are you doing? I mean, are you just covering ground, calling? Are you trying to still hunt glass? What what do you do? So still hunting in this type of timber and stuff is really hard. 
um, just because it's so thick and whatnot. Like that's the thing. I if elk are not talking, it is it is dang hard. Like if they're not going to be vocal, that is a very tough time to be hunting elk if they're not going to be vocal at all. Um, so what I do, I cover as much ground as I can. I'll go back to maps. I'll look at the e-scouting. I'll get on there and say, all right, I haven't been here. This is farther away from people. This looks like a good pocket they might be in. And I'll just, I'll cover ground all day and I'll do, I'll do a lot of calling. If I get into a certain area where there's a couple canyons, where there's some bedding areas or there's this or that, that I'm trying to look for, I'll call majority of the day, even just soft cow mews if I can, or location bugles. And do you do that? Uh, let's say I'm working up a, I'm giving an example of what we did. So you have an idea, um, for, uh, for the listeners to try to put themselves in a situation. So we had some lines on a map that we really looked really good getting into some, you know, as far away from people as we could. And actually the night before we had glassed up a bull, like two miles away from us, looked like a, we couldn't really tell how big he was. I just had my 15 powers, but we could tell he was a bull. And by this time we're like, if it chirps like an elk, we're going after it. And so we went in, it was about two miles in. It was about the farthest away you could really get away from anybody. It was two miles. And we went all the way in. And so we tried like periodic um, location bugles and we couldn't mm-hmm. get a response. And then we just tried some soft cow calling in good looking areas and we couldn't get a response. So in, in a case like that, you're just, you're just going to continue to move. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Okay. Especially if you, if you see, if, if you see elk in the area and they're not talking, then I wouldn't talk at all either. So you kind of got to play the elk. If you're seeing them, you can glass the area and they're not talking at all. I wouldn't specifically talk. I'd probably still hunt if I could. Okay. That's in that good. circumstance. Good tip. So, cause you know, if, if they're already not talking and they hear other elk talking, they might think, all right, like something's fishy here, you know? Yeah, absolutely. So, and, and sometimes it's almost always better to be quiet. If anything, if they're talking and then they're being vocal, sometimes it's even better to be quiet, especially later. I would say later in the hunt, if they've had pressure, that's probably a good thing to do is to be quiet. Cool. Cool. Okay. Keep going. Keep going with your hunt. Um, so at that point, that was the last opportunity I had for a little while. There was a couple other opportunities I had where it was just a raghorn or just cows or something like that. I had called in the next couple of weeks but the next week and a half, I called in more hunters than anything. I worked to these same areas the next week after I, he- I headed back to work and came back. And uh, it was probably those, those next four or five days. Uh, every single day, I just called in hunters. And it was rough. It was real rough. Um, <laughs> any good trophy hunters? I mean, did you get to see any good trophy hunters? Like a trophy bull coming in, you got to call in a good trophy hunter? <laughs> it's kind yeah, of a I joke. I was just joking. There was, there was a couple of times I like come, I, the one guy, for instance, I, great guy. I talked to him, whatever. Um, but I'm coming down the trail and I come around the corner. He's like kneeling down with an arrow knocked, like waiting, like ready to shoot me, you know? And I'm like, it scared me. <laughs> and he stands up and I'm like, Hey, how are you? Like, I don't mean to ruin your hunt or anything. I'm just coming down, you know, and there was nothing up here in this canyon. And he's like, oh, I thought you were a bull. I was going to shoot you, you know? <laughs> <laughs> That's great. So, but anyway, so those few days were pretty rough. And I ended up, it's kind of funny, like, I ended up hiking way back up in there. I had a friend come with me, and I hiked back up into where I had some trail cameras set, thinking there was going to be nobody. It's a super long hike. We hit the trailhead super early. And we ended up dealing with people basically all day back up in there. And, uh, which was unexpected to me, just surprised me to see that many people out, uh, especially during the middle of the week. And so at that point I was pretty like, I was pretty unmotivated, pretty low, like didn't really want to like keep going out and calling in people and whatnot. Um, 
so we got back to camp that day and I thought, you know what? Like I got a tip from a friend that said, Hey, go, go try this spot. It's super overlooked. There's some campgrounds down in there. Like people don't really think that there's elk down in there. Um, there's roads, there's this, there's that. And we get down in there and, uh, I let out a few calls. <clears throat> I wasn't really getting anything to reply. I just was thinking there wasn't anything in there. And it was about a half hour before dark and I got a bugle response and it sounded like a good bull. And we ended up catching up to him and I had him about 50, 60 yards, multiple times. I just couldn't see him through the thick vegetation, but he had cows and he just kept bugling, just kept, just wouldn't stop. And uh, what's awesome is this was an overlooked spot. So it was super close to where I was camped. It was only about 10 minutes away is all. Um, and we had elk in there. And so we worked that area the next morning. And I was, again, I got super close to the bull. He was going nuts, had a hot cow. He was chasing all over the place in this timber and this uh, kind of like choke cherry stuff, just super brushy, just tall buck brush choke cherries. I just couldn't see anything. Um, and again, I wasn't able to get an opportunity. And that was probably the most frustrating part of this hunt is I had multiple bulls, the whole hunt within 40 yards, and I just couldn't ever see them. So that is very frustrating. I mean, uh, you know, when you, they're bugling, they're running around, you think, here it's going to go, here it goes, and, and then you can't get a shot. It's, it's frustrating. You, you said something I want to come back to. I wrote this down here quick. Um, the one trailhead before you got to this overlook spot, you said uh, where you're going to hike up in and, and you had some cameras up in there and it's quite a ways away from people and you fought people the whole time. Are you noticing that hunters today are going further than they ever have, you know, you're, you're running into more hunters that are willing to get off the trail. Yes. We always used to say, get a, get a mile away from the road and you'll lose all the hunters, 90% of yep. them. Well, I don't yep. think it's that, I don't think it's that way anymore. I don't think it's that way anymore either. A lot of these guys that are going to buy these general tags and put the time and effort into it. I think they're going to hike as well. I think that they're like determined just as much as a, as a lot of us are to, uh, to a harvest an animal. Yeah. I, I attribute that to social media. Honestly, I do too. Which I think you is know. good. I mean, it's good for the no, hunting community. Yeah, yeah, it really is. Yeah, I know. Uh, Go ahead. One thing I noticed this year about being there being a lot of people due to the COVID and all that kind of stuff going on, I felt like there was so many more people out there this year than any other time I've ever been. Um, just because I'm not a weekend warrior, I can always, I've always got Tuesday through Friday off, so I'm always hunting weekdays, and I hardly ever run into people. And this year, and this year I ran into a lot more people than I normally see. Yeah, I believe I believe that. I, I I've had some other people tell me the same. I, I really do. You know, as a as a general rule or a general thought or I don't know statistic. I guess we've been being told that the hunting numbers are down um, nationwide. You know, sixty thousand less hunters or two hundred sixty thousand less hunters every year. Tags bought or whatever. Yep. And I'm like, I don't. I just don't see it. I see more hunters in the field archery hunting than I ever have in my life. And, and I'm happy for it to just kind of, you know, you got to find new spots all the time. No, I, I totally, I totally agree, JP. Yeah. So keep going, man. Keep taking us through this hunt. This is good. Yes. So I had hunted that overlooked area. It was always a place like I could get off Monday at work and hurry and drive the three hours where I needed to go. And if I had, you know, even just an hour of time to hunt down there, I'd be able to hunt it. And there was a couple more times I got down in there and I had great opportunities on bulls. Um, but was never able to get a shot on them again due to the thick thickness of the of the landscape and stuff right there in that area. And a lot of the time, if I would get in on them, they would run up and cross the road, and then they weren't in my unit anymore. So they were just crossing back and forth from the unit, like unit to unit. And that's why I think a lot of people didn't hunt that area as well. Um, 
But at this point, I had basically worked a lot of the areas I had scouted. I had worked everything I, I really, really like knew and had hunted hard. And so at this point, I really didn't have a whole lot of options to do other than look at maps and try to look at some more areas and decide exactly where I wanted to go. Um, but there was one spot in instance that I had drove past many times that there's a big lake there. And on the other side of the lake, I kept looking at it throughout the whole summer. And I was like, you know, I bet that there's elk in that area. I, like, I guarantee there's got to be something there. And so I found a trailhead that uh, went way back up in there. And I figured, you know what, like, I'm going to try it. And it's, it had to have been the first day I got in there. I came like kept coming around right to where I figured there would be elk in there. I let out a call and I had like a herd bull reply to me instantly, um, which was awesome. Like at that, and I was like, that was just right off the trail and I hadn't seen any other boot tracks in there. I hadn't run into any other people. And so I was just like, okay, I've got this whole area to myself, at least as of today. Um, and I worked that same area for probably a good week and man, it was just, it was hard because that stuff is so thick. Again, I would get in there every time I came around that corner, every day I'd go in there in the morning i'd have bulls reply to me instantly in the same area uh, most of the time it was a herd bull of cows down in the bottom below me and a lot of the time i played it pretty i played it pretty i'd say laid back i wasn't super aggressive um just because i didn't want to push them out of the area if that makes sense yeah totally um, just because i there wasn't any other people in there there wasn't pressure i'd hike back in there every day it's like hey if the elk are here they're going to stay here as long as i really really don't push them out of here um, so I was doing as much as I could to try to play the wind, right, get in close. And there were so many times when I had the bulls yet again, super duper close in this thick brush. And I still wasn't able to get a shot. My wind would swirl or a cow would get pushed and run right to me and they'd see me and they'd bust. So you were basically, uh, you were just kind of, they were vocal. You were just st trying to get the wind right and just move in on them. You weren't trying yeah, to call them out of there. You're just trying to ambush them. Right. So every once in a while I'd have, you know, I'd let out a cow mew or something like that if I was making a lot of noise just so that they would be like, all right, that's an elk making noise. So I'm kind of trying to mimic an elk a little bit. Um, and every once in a while I'd cow call if he went quiet just to get him to respond so I could pinpoint where he was at in that timber. Um, and so that's what, yeah, I was going to say, I mean, you, you're doing it perfect. Cause like you said earlier, man, when they're not talking, it's as big as they are and they can be close to you. It's like, looking for a needle in a haystack so right. just to get them to you know make some kind of noise for you to be able to move in is perfect yep and then like at this point in, at this point in september with how late it's been the cows have had a lot of pressure as in like the cows are the smart ones at this point the bulls they're just they're just doing their thing all they're worrying about is is the cows um but those cows they hear a cow call they don't like they say uh-uh we don't like that and they're gonna start moving away from me and that bull's just gonna follow um, so that happened a few times where I'd cow call or this or that, and that lead cow would take that the whole herd and they would leave. And so I would hear him bugle real close to me. And the next thing you know, he's another 100, 150 yards away and he bugles again. And that happened multiple times as well. But they so never, but never boogered out of the whole area. They stayed kind of in that area. Yep. They stayed in the area. Okay. So, All right. um, I, I basically, there was a couple of times I had to come back to work on the weekends and I went up there, this was like September 24th, I think it was. So it's getting close to the end of the hunt. Um, and I get back up in there and I come around the corner and I have a bull bugle down below me again. Just deep, nasty, gnarly bugle. Sounds like a dinosaur. And so it wasn't the same herd bull that I had heard the week prior. I think another bull had come in there taking the cows because they were all in the same area still again. And 
this was a, and he went back up into the timber and they went quiet. I didn't hear him at all. I heard one bugle around probably around 11 AM and that was it. And so I was like, okay, well, I'm just going to kind of work up this other drainage here. I'm going to come around to where I think they're at. And I get up into this big bowl. It's a big kind of basin. There's some meadows and stuff in there. And all of a sudden I hear him bugle. And at this point he just won't stop bugling. It's midday and he's just going nuts. Like he's got a hot cow over there. I can hear her screaming as she's running around. I can hear the other cows that are bedded. And as much as I wanted to go over there on that North face where they were at, it was just so thick. And some of the cows I knew were bedded and I just, there's too many eyes and ears to really sneak in on them on the middle of the day. Considering where I was at, I had to come from below them. Um, my thermals would be going up. Like, so I sat there for probably, I sat there for a good six hours. And just across the canyon right there and just waited for them, hoping that they'd come down in the meadow in front of me. And it was about 6 p.m. at that point. I was like, okay, he's still talking. Like, he's just bugling all day. And I decided I'd go over there. I got super close. I had cows within 20 yards. I had, you know, so many elk in front of me. And he's bugling, and I still can't see him. This stuff's so thick. And I ended up kind of wiggling my way through some of the cows and getting up above them. And I think a cow ended up seeing me or smelling me or something. And they all busted. There was elk everywhere. Like, so I run down the hill and there's elk running all over. Like it's crazy right now. The bulls are screaming. There's satellite bulls screaming. I'm in the middle of them and I come down to the bottom and there's a big meadow right there. And I've got cows all over out in front of me. And I'm like, Hey, like this is going to happen. Like there's going to be a bull that comes out in this meadow somewhere in front of me. The cows really didn't know what was going on. Um, at that point I had a decoy too. So that helped me big time. And did you have that decoy up while you're sneaking through the timber? Um, I did from time to time. It just depends on how thick it was because it was kind of noisy as well. Okay. Um, so I kind of would have it strapped to my backpack as well so I could turn and it was, it's like a 3D decoy. And so they would see that, you know, and it would help, it would help like conceal me a little bit more. Yeah. And your sight's fixed by now. Yeah. So my sight's yep. fixed by now. Okay. All right. Um, whole bunch of cows in front of me in this meadow is like picture perfect like just waiting for the bull to come down he was across in the timber i could hear him screaming chasing the cow and i got all the cows in front of me some of them are feeding some of them are nervous they really didn't know exactly what was going on because they couldn't smell me and uh he never ended up coming out in the open that night i saw a satellite bull i had a satellite bull about 90 yards that evening and he was a good bull but i was never able to get a shot opportunity yet again which was very unfortunate because it's getting closer to the end of the hunt. I waited that long that day and I was like, man, this just sucks, you know, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, so I hiked out of there that night. I had to go back to work on the weekend and uh, I decided to take Monday off of work get up there early. I figured they'd be in the same area and uh, <clears throat> sorry, excuse me. And I worked this whole area basically all Monday and this whole point that I figured they'd be in and the elk had moved out of there. They just weren't in there. Uh, there was no other hunters or tracks that I could at least see, but the elk weren't in there, unfortunately. When you say, Sheldon, when you say you worked that point, that area, what, is, what does that look like to you? Um, if I had to explain it, I mean, a few people might know where I'm at if I say it on the podcast. Yeah, don't uh, don't give your spots away. But I'm, 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 when you say work it, I'm wondering, like, are you walking and calling? Are you still hunting? That's kind of what I'm... Yeah, about. so I basically just walking through there trying to get something to respond <clears throat> because the animals, they can only go so far on this this little area that I'm in or it's basically water. It's like an island is what it is. 
Um, but there was another spot I had wanted to hunt the whole time that was back up in this other basin. It was just another couple miles to get back up in there. I could see that it was flat in some places and there was aspens and creeks coming down. So I knew it was full of wallows and water. I knew it was prime country. <clears throat> and that's where I figured they had gone to. <clears throat> and so I basically worked up there that next day. Um, I figured I'd get above the that big base and I'd work way above it and uh, see exactly where I uh, needed to get to and be. And if I was above them, I might be able to hear them down in the basin below me. Um, just because I hadn't seen them all over that whole area I was in the next day, I figured, all right, they'd, the herd had to have moved up there somewhere. So, cause at this point, if the elk aren't talking, like something's up, like it's the middle of the rut. If a bull has a hot cow, he's, <clears throat> he's not going to shut up. Right. Right. Um, so I got above them that next morning. I got up real early. It's about 3 AM hiked way up there. And right as I crested the ridge, I, uh, heard a couple bulls down below me and then I bugled. And uh, all of a sudden, just like lit up. There was like had to have been seven or eight bulls down in there. They all were responding to me, and I could hear his specific bugle down on the bottom as well. So I knew he was down there. Um, and this is some nasty stuff. Like this country sucks so bad because now I'm not only in the thick vegetation. I'm in like steep, gnarly country. Like this stuff's rocky, it's steep, and it's thick. Um, so I just kind of kept working from ridge to ridge until I was d- directly above these these elk that were below me. Um, and I had a couple satellite bulls <clears throat> that worked their way up to where I was at because there was beds all over in this area. It was just prime elk country. And I sat there for a little while thinking maybe I should just sit it out all day. I had the bull <clears throat> down in the bottom below me and I figured, okay, like I could sit here all day and wait till they get up and move or I can get aggressive and go down on them. My thermals and wind are coming up like that's at least a good thing. So I sat there for a little while. I had a couple satellite bulls that were close. I tried playing with them for a little bit. None of them would really come in for some reason. They just like, I really didn't have anything come into cow calls. They would respond to me, but they wouldn't come in, which is the sucky thing. It seemed like every time I would bugle this particular day, I'd have bulls light up or the bull down on the bottom, the herd bull, he'd cut me off every time I'd bugle. And so he was being super aggressive. And, uh, that's when I figured, all right, like, it's the second to last day of this hunt. Like I can either sit here all day and hope for an opportunity or I can at least just try to create one. Even if I bust them out of here, at least I tried, you know? And so I let out a bugle and he responded again and <clears throat> excuse me. My throat's getting a little dry. <laughs> you ain't choked up yet. Are you? <laughs> no, not yet. <laughs> so there was a couple game trails working down, which was great. That could help me be a little quiet. It's just hard because the leaves are changing and they're super crunchy. So every step I take is just crunching, you know, and I know the bull probably wouldn't care as much, but the, the cows, if they, that, those were the ones I had to worry about because I didn't know where they were, where they were bedded. I didn't know exactly where they were at. Um, I just had a good wind obviously, and my thermals were going up. And so that's kind of what I was using to my advantage. Um, as I, as I was hiking down these game trails, I would glunk. I don't know if you know what glunking is. Oh, yeah. 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 So I just had my bugle tube. I'm hitting the end of my bugle tube every once in a while, just glunking as I'm kind of walking down this hill. And I hadn't heard anything from that point. He was only bugling about every 20 minutes at this point. So still consistent enough to help me know exactly where he was at. And I'm still just kind of working down this game trail, glunking here and there. And I get down to this elk bed. 
Oh, well, before that, before I got the elk bed, he glunked back to me so I could pinpoint where he was at. So I heard him down below me glunking. And at this point, he's probably 200, 250 yards, I'd say. Wow. So he's not like super far away from me. And I get to this elk bed and I'm just sitting there. I take my pack off. I'm like, okay, I'm just going to sit here for a little while. Like I got the creek down below me. You know, I know, I know the elk are right here in this area. And I, uh, I sit there and I start glunking a little more and I grab a stick and I just start raking a tree. So at this point I'm not being like quiet, quiet. I'm just trying something different because I had never really like called in a bull glunking. Um, I never really called in a bull raking a tree either. I've got them to respond, but never called them in. And so I start raking the tree a little more and then I start glunking again. And all of a sudden I hear this crashing down below me and all of a sudden it's just a big old bugle, like right up towards me. Like he's coming. So at this point I was able to get down in there. I got into his bedroom and he was not happy with me being there and that close to his cows, um, which was great, you know? So I'm shaking at that point. I didn't even have like an arrow knock. So I hurried and let out a little chuckle right after he bugled just so he kind of knew exactly where I was at. And this vegetation in front of me is super thick. I'm just hoping that I can get a shot opportunity. And <clears throat> I can see the brush moving in front of me, like right down below me. I can't see him. I can just see the brush moving and he's coming. I can hear him just coming right up to me. And finally, he kind of comes up below me, He kind of veers just to the left of me just a little bit which was good in my favor. And there was a tree blocking us. And right when he hit that tree, I drew back. He kind of took a few more steps and I cow called. And then that's like right when I shot, like, and I just, there was branches in the way, but they were small enough that they weren't really going to deflect my arrow at that close of a, of a range. So it had to have been, I mean, it was like a 17 yard shot through the timber. Wow. And I just heard that arrow just hit, you know what the sound is. Oh like yeah. Soft spot, you know, like it hit a pumpkin. Yep, exactly. And he just, he just whipped around and ran straight down. And I let out a bugle and a couple cow calls just to kind of calm him down if he was still alive, you know. And I heard a few of the other bulls down below me light up. They started bugling. And I was just like hoping and praying that he wasn't still alive, you know. And so I didn't hear his bugle at all. I figured if, you know, I would have got a flesh wound or something wrong, like something, he would still be down there like trying to protect his cows, you know. <clears throat> So that's kind of how that story went down. Like I had this same bull the week prior within range multiple times, but I had yet to see him. This was the first time I had actually seen the bull. I had just recognized him from his bugle was all. So he really didn't go. Well, I shouldn't say he really, I don't, I don't know the, the landscape or topography. How far did he go from when you had him a couple times close to then you moving up into that big flat area where you end up killing him? How far in general was he moving with his cows um, I, on a day-to-day basis? I'd say where he was at up into that basin, he was a good, I'd say, two, two and a half miles as the crow flies away from away from where I had encountered him that week prior. Okay. That's a good little so, jaunt, but not not too bad. No, not too bad, exactly. I just figured they had moved up onto the mountain a little more, and they would moved into one of those nasty basins. And it was even further away from where people could even hike into, because I was already hiking in a good, you know, four miles one way as it is. Yeah. Man, you had some miles on you. So when you were doing the glunking, you're sitting on that bed and you're glunking, you started raking a tree. You heard that big crash and then he bugled your way. He literally took that as a challenge and he was coming to push you out. Yeah, he was coming to fight me. And how far away do you think you were from him when when he when he decided to, you know, he took that as a as a threat? I'd say within a hundred yards. Okay. That's that yeah, magic one hundred yards. 
Yeah, it was somewhere right in there. And it, and it was middle of the day, too. It had to have been, like, I think it was, like, 1230. Wow. So, and it was a warm day. It was, like, 75 degrees. So it was obviously fairly warm. And, uh, yeah, he. I just noticed how aggressive he was being towards other bulls. And I figured, okay, it's, like, fourth and long. Like, he's being aggressive. This might work, you know. And that's why I decided to make that decision to do that. Well, that is awesome. That is just, that's excellent. So the recovery, how did the recovery go? So I sat there for a little while. I uh, didn't do a whole lot. Um, usually when kind of instances like that happen, I usually try to give them a little bit of time if I can, even though I'm super excited. Um, so I sat down, I called a couple people. I called Lydia and one other friend. I said, hey, like I hit a bull, just so you know, um, this is where I'm at, da 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 just to kind of take some time. Otherwise I kind of get a little antsy. Um, and so I sat there for a little while. I'd probably at least a half an hour and I felt like I made a pretty good shot. Cause I thought I could hear something kind of groaning down in the bottom. Like I thought it was the bull kind of giving his last breath, if that makes sense. Um, so I could hear that down below me. And so I waited a little longer. I went to look for blood. I found a little bit of blood. My arrow wasn't there. And so I was pretty confident I made a good shot at that close. And I started working down a little more. I'm finding a little bit of blood here and there. Not exactly what I want to be finding just yet. So I was kind of getting worried. I was getting nervous that maybe he was, he had gone further than I wanted to in this thick vegetation. And then I walked a little bit further and I came around the corner and I saw something down below me and I could see his head sticking up and he was all tangled up down there in the dirt and the trees. So that was when I was finally able to <clears throat> conclude that he would, he was dead. So so what was the emotions like that? You put a lot of days in. Yeah. And, you know, like I have a few people rag on me for, you know, the emotions and whatnot that come through. But I get pretty dang emotional when it comes down to stuff like that. Just because yeah. I work so dang hard and I respect these dang things more than anything. You know, I, I lived with them for a good 20 days out there, you know, and it's just to have that opportunity finally present itself and for it to finally come together was it's just it's just something else. Oh yeah, man. You put 20 days, you know, most guys are lucky if they can get a seven day hunt in. Yeah. You know, I mean, especially, you know, if you're traveling to a different state, not everybody has to travel to a different state. Um, right. But like, if I just say me, cause I, I travel to a different state almost every year to elk hunt, we're typically getting like seven days to hunt, you know, by the time right. I got to get back to the family and, and business and all those kind of things. You hunt solo a lot. Am I right? Yes, sir. Yep. Do you, do you like hunting solo or would you rather hunt with, with somebody? I, I do like hunting solo just because it seems like having somebody else there is another variable that can, you know, screw you up, more scent, this and that. But it just depends on who it's with. I love having company. I love having somebody that can help me. Like, obviously, if I would have had somebody call for me a lot of this hunt, I probably would have been able to get it done a lot sooner. Just having a caller uh, back yep. a little ways? Yes, because I wouldn't have had to, the cows wouldn't be pushed at all. Like I'd be able to sneak in on them while they're still responding to me. So having somebody else while you're elk hunting is, is it really is like a great thing to have. Yeah. So do you have any tips for the solo hunters that, you know, because they don't have somebody behind them calling any kind of calling tips or technique setup tips that you, you found to work for you? A lot of the time, JP, I just get super aggressive. I've always been a super aggressive hunter, um, but there's a point to where you have to balance some patience with aggression. Um, and I did that for a little while and it worked really well. I had some great opportunities. Um, but I just tell people to not overcall and just kind of mimic the yelk. If they're talking a lot, like obviously you should be talking a lot. Um, if they're being fairly quiet, like be quiet. 
Um, but again, it all depends on the time of September too. Later in the month, if the cows are kind of know what's going on and the bulls don't, I would just be quiet. If that bull's already talking and you don't have to do any calling, I would just let him talk and you just move in and ambush him. So if you're hunting an area, um, like in Wyoming, we even tried, I mean, we were going out at night trying to listen for bugles late at night, right. just trying to find somewhere we could go the next morning. And we couldn't even get a bugle. Come to find out all the elk had been pushed up onto private land. The unit we were on was very congested and very small. And uh, the one cowboy we talked to goes, there's 300 head of elk on that private ranch right over there two miles away. I'm like, well, that's where the, all the elk are. You know, that's, you know, they'd been pressured for 24 days by this time and, and they just skedaddled. But do you ever do that when you're not getting elk that are not very vocal? It sounds like you had a pretty, pretty good year as far as um, the yeah. vocalization the elk were. But if you ever get a year that aren't vocal, do you ever hit, you know, roads at night, do any night bugling or anything, try to locate I, elk? I have done that quite often. Yeah. Just to try to locate something. It just seems like I have a lot more success getting on maps and just trying to figure out other areas to go to. That's where I have a lot more success at is e-scouting. Oh, that's perfect. That's perfect. Well, your elk season doesn't end there. I mean, you've tagged out, but you've mentioned your girlfriend, Lydia. Yep. Is that right? Yep. And now, didn't she kill a bull? Yeah, so she harvested a bull, I think, the second week of the hunt, and right above where we were camped in our camp. So that was super awesome, too. And she did that solo. So we were we were camping together and then hunting solo most of September. That's what stood out to me the most. Wasn't that she shot an elk, although I don't know her. Um, it was when, when I saw the post that she was hunting solo, I'm like, that's, that's really impressive to me. Um, yeah. <laughs> so tell her story a little bit. She, has she been hunting a long time? Yeah, so she's been hunting for, uh, I, I think she's been bow hunting for a good five years or so. Um, and I was with her last year when she harvested her first bull up there. Never had harvested an elk before and, and uh, finally all came together for her. She had done it for a couple of years and harvested just a smaller bull, but man, she was so happy. And and uh, it's easy for residents to get that tag. So she got the tag again this next year. And we had some great bulls on trail camera all summer. Oh, and, she's an Idaho girl, right? Yep, exactly. Yep, yep. So she's idaho you're utah you guys got the best of both worlds <laughs> i know right <laughs> but no uh it was weird because her unit the quality of bulls is so much better um but i'd say those first two weeks there was not much vocalization from the elk and her unit hardly at all and then i drive 20 minutes down the road and the bulls are bugling all over the place that is wild um, i've heard as as a uh, probably overwhelmingly i've heard from all my hunting friends it was a tough elk hunting year as far as vocalization wise, you know, the weather was warm in a lot of areas. It was dry. That was another thing we ran into in Wyoming where we were is we're like, well, we'll just go sit. If they're not going to be vocal, let's get into some dark timber pockets, sit a wallow. There was water everywhere. You know, it wasn't uh -huh. like a dry unit. So I'm like, my goodness, we want to sit that one or the 40 other little wallows we passed coming in here. We don't, don't know which one to sit. So we sat and a couple. It yeah. yeah, it does. So we just had a, a perfect storm of a of tag soup year, which is okay. I mean, I still loved every moment of it. Um, but did you, I mean, you had a pretty good vocalization year. Did you talk to anybody else that had more of a, a struggling year? I did. Yeah. There was a lot of other hunters I ran into that I talked to and almost every single guy that I ran into said that the bulls were being super quiet. Um, I don't know how far these guys were hiking off trails or roads, if they were hitting a lot of the easy, more easy accessible stuff. Um, but that would be the reason I would assume why they weren't um, seeing anything or hearing anything because I was hunting basically the same 
general area, I was just hiking further in and I was having bugles every single day. Wow. Uh, you... So I, I, I probably heard bulls every day of the hunt. Wow. That's incredible. That, that makes elk hunting fun. You know, what makes elk hunting tough is when you come out and there's just no, you don't get any of that rut action. I mean, my, right. the biggest bull I ever killed in my life, my Nevada bull, there was zero rut action. It was in August. It was like August 25th. Yeah, that's rough. It, it, but, but, you know, I, it, it ended up working out good where I could spot them and stalk them. But, you know, I'd much rather have that rutting action than big, gnarly, deep bugles and, and chasing them and have elk running all over. That's a lot of fun. Yeah. And the one thing that helped me too is like where we were camped there in Lydia's unit, there was bulls bugling every night. So I'd go to sleep just listening to bulls bugle. I'd wake <laughs> up hearing them bugle. And I'd say that that was one thing that probably motivated me quite a bit because I'm, I'm here obviously and I'm hearing bulls bugle and they're rutting hard. Like I feel like that motiv- motivated me a lot, especially after a long day of not getting anything or having a whole lot of success. Do you ever feel that when you're going to bed and you're hearing a bugle and then you wake up the next morning and you can hear bugles that aren't bugles? Like, was that a bugle? I think that was yeah. a bugle. Like you just yep. <laughs> audibly hear bugles in your mind. <laughs> yep. All the time. Yep. Yeah. That's awesome. So what does your fall look like? Um, what's the rest of your fall look like? Um, I still have a general archery tag for deer and elk here in Utah. Um, but at this point we're limited to extended archery areas and they get hunted quite a bit, a lot of pressure. Um, but I have harvested animals on them in the past, so we'll see what happens. I've got until basically December to harvest either one of them. Uh, that's pretty good. That's a good season. Yeah. And then Lydia drew a special deer tag up in Idaho and I think I'll be helping her out a little bit with that. She's got the whole month of October. Um, so I'll be skipping around here and there. No shortage of hunting. Nope, never ever a shortage of it. Well, if you could leave the if you could leave the listeners with something, Sheldon, I really appreciate jumping on again. We don't know each other, and I just I love the hunting industry because it's you know you could meet another hunter or you know outdoorsman, outdoors woman, and you got so much in common when you've uh, when you're hunting. You know, there's just so much. You, I could talk to you for you know ten hours probably. We could just tell hunting stories for ten hours. Um, so I, I really, really like that. And I'm really thankful that you jumped on here. But I'm kind of wondering, you know, if you could give any tips, tactics, or gear. So give me, give me one tip. Give me the Sheldon Howe tip, uh, elk hunting tip that uh, you think can make a, uh, a hunter a little bit better. Um, I would say if I had to, man, I wish I'd give you a few of them. Well, give me a few of them. Uh-huh. Yeah, well, hey, we'll take them all. Uh, e-scouting really helped me a ton. That was one thing that I, I swear by it, whether it's Onyx or whatever application you've got on your phone, I would use it. Google earth, whatever you can find. Um, that's a tool that has changed, has changed like big time, at least for my hunting perspective, when it comes to scouting and, uh, the success I've had, um, is definitely e-scouting. Um, and then hiking as well. I put in a lot of miles every day, um, doing as much as I can on the ground. Um, I do that a ton. And so that's probably one other uh, tip I'd give too is put, put a lot of time on you on the feet, on the boots. Cause you never know what wallows and, and bedding areas and stuff you're going to find while out there hiking. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, when you say e-scouting, I was really, you know, I used Onyx and I dabbled a little bit with go hunts, um, 3d mapping that they had. Yeah. And I was yeah. really, I was really happy the way it turned out. Um, the map, like you said, the map is so good that, I was, I was pre-marking all my routes. I wanted to get into these areas and get above the elk before light. 
Right. And literally as we're walking them, I'm, you know, and I had marked them on my computer at home and then they just transferred to my, my phone, obviously as we're out there, it's literally step for step up the drainage that we want to go. I mean, the, the, the e-scouting tools that we have available to us are incredible. They're so, a game changer. They really are. I agree with you hundred percent. When you say hiking, um, this is the fit archer. I'm a huge fitness nut. I love fitness. Um, I don't, I don't love fitness. I just, I like working out. I like to try to be in shape. I like to, I like, you know, working out and all that stuff. Do you do anything in particular to allow you, you know, the amount of miles that you got to put on without burning out? Do you do any kind of workouts in particular? Um, I hike pretty consistently throughout the year, whether it's me looking for sheds to pick up or me doing a lot of stuff throughout the summertime. Um, I, I do go to the gym fairly, you know, fair, a fair amount, but that's more obviously like weight training and stuff like that. Um, I just don't hop on the treadmill or like here at the house. Like I just don't go running cause I hate running. I can't yeah. stand it. <laughs> Me too. Um, <laughs> but I, I, I've always had a pretty high metabolism and been always been pretty dang healthy. And so, you know, putting on 13 to 15 miles a day really isn't like too far fetched for me, I'd say. Yeah. And there's nothing like hiking. I mean, I do CrossFit and then I do weight training and kettlebells. I do everything. I, I tell everybody there is nothing that will get you in better shape for hiking than hiking. Like I you can totally do all, agree. you do all the workouts you want to do, but when you got to put a pack on and you got to hike uneven terrain, high elevation, it's just, you've got to train for it. Yep. Yep. Yes, you can. So how about a tactic? What's Sheldon Howe's one tactic that if you could pass on to a hunter to help them be a better hunter that, uh, that you think it would help? Um, I would say definitely play the wind and watch your thermals, um, for one. And then, um, just kind of listen to the elk. If, if people can learn as much about elk language as they can, I'm no professional at, I don't know what the heck they're saying a lot of the time, but if somebody can understand even just little bits here and there, it'll help them big time. It'll go a long ways while they're out there trying to hunt elk. That's good. I really, really like that. And lastly, what's one piece of gear you would never leave home without um definitely an extra sight um i don't know about an extra sight <laughs> i'm teasing you um i definitely would feel pretty pretty uh pretty uncomfortable if i didn't have my rangefinder with me to be completely honest that and then i always bring an extra release too yeah good good yeah i'm uh I'm a rangefinder guy. I just went and did a big 3D shoot here in Arizona. And as I was signing up for it, the guy's like, you want to do known or unknown distance? And I'm like, well, known, like I want to range them. I, I'm not, I'm not great at, yeah, I'm not great <laughs> at ranging. You know, and again, I, I use this all the time coming from Wisconsin to Arizona where I hunt bigger country now. And any, even when I lived in Wisconsin and hunted out West anyway, range is different when you're, you, when you have such big country, it's really difficult to estimate the range. I mean, especially, if it's a 20 yard yeah. shot, it's something. But. Especially guys like you coming from somewhere else that aren't, aren't used to it all the time, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So I'm a so range. I just learned that from my first, my first elk hunt after not ranging so many bulls. Like that was a lesson. I learned. <laughs> just be patient. Use your range finder. Like it's worth it, you know? Yep. Yep. And, uh, for me, I would say probably one of my biggest pieces of gear has now become my phone with the on X. I, I really, that's been a game changer for me just to have it on airplane mode, keep my phone there. I, it just makes me feel yep. so much more comfortable about going further and further away from vehicle or roads or anything. Well, now that you bring that up to JP, uh, 
one other really important piece of gear I'd like to share is having an extra phone like battery pack in your backpack. Mm. Um, that is very ideal. There was one instance during this hunt when <clears throat> my phone died and I had marked my pack and I had to leave my pack there and I hiked seven miles out without a flashlight, nothing. So oh, it's very man. important in my opinion to have an extra battery pack just so you can charge your phone and, and uh, be safe while you're back up in there. Most importantly. Yeah. I mean, it is, you know, it, the, I've, I've said it forever. You, you understand it as well. You know, the outdoors is unforgiving. Mountains are unforgiving. The wilderness is unforgiving. And so take every safety precaution. One thing I do on everywhere I go, because I didn't one year, I was Havelina hunting. I'll just tell this. I was Havelina hunting with my son and it's, we only, we only go about probably 400 yards off the road to get to this high point. And then from there in this big basin, when we find Havelina, we'll go after him. And so you only can come out west. If you go any other direction, you know, you're going to run into the mountains because it's a big basin. Well, it got dark on us because we moved in and he ended up killing a javelina and we're, we're coming out and it got pitch black. And I mean, we had lights, but it got so black that I couldn't use any handrails, any of the mountains on my side. So I'm walking and I never downloaded that portion of the map to my Onyx. And so I didn't have service and I knew that I just, I just got lazy and it just didn't do it. And I wasn't a fear of getting lost or anything like that, but we were walking all over the place because it was so dark. I couldn't tell where's the big ravine. What is the mountain? I got to go around, you know, just all these different things. Had I had downloaded that, um, it would have been easy just to walk out, but super easy. So, you know, with that on X and with an extra battery pack, you know, just download Download the area because you still have GPS uh, satellite and, and location when you got that, even when you're on airplane mode. Yep. I think it's a game changer. It helps big time. And then even like when, when we needed some help too and I was up there solo, um, I was able to send my friend a waypoint in order for us to be picked up down the beach below us with a boat. Like that helped us out big time was being able to use Onyx to be able to share it with other people so they knew where we were at and they could help us out. Yep. yep. Do you carry a spot or uh, in reach or anything? I don't know. I okay. don't. I've hunted um, some areas. But I, like, but I would recommend them. Yeah. I hunted in uh, Canada a couple times, moose hunting. And the reason I got it was because it had the satellite technology where I could communicate to my family. And uh, now I just find it to be just another peace of mind type thing. You know, I yep. got something in there where even if, you know, something happens, I can hit, you know, God forbid I ever need it. I hope, hope I never do. But just another little piece of equipment that uh, I think is beneficial. Yep, I completely agree with that. So, Sheldon, I'm going to let everybody know you can follow you on Instagram, and I would encourage everybody to. He's got some great stuff, just you know, a lot of animals on there. Again, I was flipping through his Instagram. I'm like, dang, man, I'm jealous of this young guy. Uh, I can't wait to <laughs> talk to him that. and get to know him and find out what all his tip tactics and gear are and stuff like that. But it's just Sheldon underscore how at Insta- on Instagram, correct? Yep. Yep, and so make sure you go give him a follow and – and uh, keep tabs on him, see what he puts down for the rest of the fall and next fall and all that. But um, Sheldon, I just want to thank you for jumping on, man. It's been a, been an honor to get a chance to talk to you and meet you and and uh, hear your story and your success. And I just want to congratulate you on a on a on a great elk and and your girlfriend on a great elk and all that kind of stuff. Nothing like it. There's nothing. Hey, like we it. appreciate it. And I, I thanks for reaching out, JP. This has been fun. I like to share stories and stuff with people. So. Yeah. Well, you enjoy the rest of your day, buddy. And uh, we'll, I'm sure we'll be in touch from, from here on out. All right. Yep. Thanks, okay. JP. All right. God bless you, buddy. Yep. You too. Bye.